This is the Learning Curve Podcast, and I'm Pastor Scott Rambo. Welcome to the classroom. Let's dive into the Word of God and see what He has to say to us today. Welcome to tonight's study, uh, Genesis chapter 5, verses 18 through 24. That's where we'll start. Tonight's question has come to me in several forms throughout the last couple months. Uh, why is Enoch and Elijah important to me? That's the question. And we're going to look at this question biblically. And uh, I believe that there is something here for us today as believers in 2023 to look all the way back to Enoch uh, and, and see our future. We can look as far back into our past as almost as humanly possible. Um, Genesis picks up with a few generations before Enoch, but not many. Uh, and that's what Genesis 5 is. It's the genealogies from Adam um, <clears throat> to that time. And Enoch is in the middle of that. So let's go ahead and read, and uh, and we'll go from there. So Genesis 5, verses 18 reads like this, Jared lived 162 years and became the father of Enoch. Then Jared lived 800 years after he became the father of Enoch, and he had other sons and daughters. <coughs> Excuse me. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And that is the story of Enoch, believe it or not. That's what we know about him. We know that he walked with God. We know that he lived 365 years. We know that he had sons and he had daughters. Obviously, he had a wife. He had a family. And then one day, he disappeared and he did not die. So why is that important to us as believers? Um, it's a constant repeated phrase throughout uh, chapter 5 of Genesis. And he died. And he died. And he died. And he died. Even Adam, the perfect man, sinned. When sin entered in, what does the Bible say? That sin is... Sin is the, uh, or death is the wages of sin, right? So Adam died. Eve died. Everyone died that was not in the garden. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. So everyone has died. What you got, Richard Paul? Are we talking about the man that everything? No, that's Job. We're talking about Enoch. Just listen. All right? <clears throat> so... That's a repeated phrase. When we're going through the genealogies here, every single person that we're talking about died. Then in the middle of that, verse 18 or, or verse 20, uh, we, we get Enoch's story. He lived 65 years, and he fathered his first son, Methuselah. Then he lived another 300 years, and his testimony is very short and brief but powerful because he walked with God, and he did not die. Pretty, pretty important stuff if you start to think ahead 
with the biblical knowledge that we have, does that not sound like what our trust and hope is in, is that we walk with God here on earth and we do not die, mm-hmm. right? Now we understand that the Bible says that it is appointed once to every man to die. And stories like uh, Enoch or Elijah are few and far between. Matter of fact, that's the only two accounts in the Bible, the recorded Bible, of people who have lived and did not die. The majority, (laughs) the majority will taste death. But even in that, uh, spiritually, do we die? No, we go on to live for the rest of eternity, right? Matter of fact, that is the work of Christ. The last enemy that will be put under his feet is death, right? Death, hell, and a grave. And the Bible says that even though we die once, don't fear this first death, fear the second death, right? So I want to I only die once. I don't want to die again. That's, that's my hope. And Enoch shows us here that if we walk with God, um, we will not die. So, according to Scripture, Enoch did not suffer the same fate as Adam and the rest of his descendants. He did not die. That's what the Bible records. Why didn't Enoch die? Has anybody got an idea? Okay. Good thing we're doing this study. Yeah. (laughs) For the rest of you who who will be listening to this uh, later, maybe you had an answer, maybe you didn't. But, um... There's a lot of different people who said a lot of different things of why Enoch didn't die, but I believe we can trace this through the Bible all the way to our future as well. Uh, What does it mean? (coughs) What does it mean that he walked with God? There's a significance there, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. So he didn't die, and the reason he didn't die is because he walked with God, right? I know I'm hounded on that, but we only have a few verses to build this whole foundation on, but the foundation is solid because if Enoch didn't die, and the only reason he didn't die is because his testimony is for 300 years he walked with God, then maybe we can start to build a faith and a trust that through my sanctification, if I walk with God through Christ, my future is looking pretty good, right? Okay. If we can say, if we can look into ourselves, Right? If I can study myself and say that I have walked with God like Enoch has walked with God, then we can start to build a, a biblical case for us. So Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. That's what the Bible says. Enoch, the son of Jared, was carried away by God in a miraculous way. That's what we can take away from that. <clears throat> he walked with God. Uh, the the term walk with God speaks of a true deep relationship and we're going to rely heavily on Charles Spurgeon because he is way more intelligent than I am and uh, I I pulled snippets out of a message he's he's preached on Enoch before so he had a lot to say about him Uh, if you've ever read one of Spurgeon's messages they're several pages long there's plenty of quotes in it so we're going to reference him quite often and here's the first here's the first reference you cannot consciously walk with a person whose existence is not known to you when you walk with a man 
we know that he is there. We hear his footfall. If we cannot see his face, we have some very clear perception that there is <coughs> such a person at our side. Spurgeon goes on to say, if, uh, if I wished to find a man's most familiar friend, it would surely be one with whom he daily walked. In walking, friends become communicative. One tells his trouble, and the other strives to console him under it, and then imparts to him his own secret in return. And you can, you can go into your salvation now, and, and that's exactly the relationship we have with God through Christ Jesus. Is I, I bring him my woes and my cares and my burdens, and he imparts to me mysteries that this world doesn't know, right? This is, the, this is the type of walk that Enoch had. Even before covenant, before the law was given, there was a law that was written upon his heart. There was, there was a God that he walked with that was as true to him and truer in some sense than even us in this life now. Uh, Paul says that we, we see things through a veil, right? But soon we'll see face to face. Enoch had that same experience. When he walked with God for the 300 years here, he's seen God. He's seen God. He walked with him. Now he didn't see him physically. He's seen him through a veil. But there was one day where he's seen him face to face. Same as us. So Enoch walked with God. Let's, let's look at this. <clears throat> walking with God means walking by faith. Right? 2 Corinthians uh, 5, 6 through 9 says this, Therefore... Being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. But we are of good courage and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our uh, ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. In other words, to be walking with him. If I'm absent from him, I'm commanded to walk with him. If I'm ever present before him, I'm commanded to walk with him. Uh, walking by God means walking in the light. We can go to 1 John chapter 1, 5-7. through 7. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So who are we walking with? Well, that scripture said we're walking with one another. Who's that other? It's God. Good job, buddy. And walking, lastly, walking with God means we walk in agreement with God in concordance with God, under obedience to God. There were several things we could have put here, but if I agree with God, does that not mean that I'm obedient to him? Yes. Does that not mean that I'm going to walk in his statutes, that I'm going to carry on his ways, that I'm going to keep his commandments? Because God has commanded us to, to be in agreement with him. So if I'm in agreement with God, in other words, if I'm under covenant with him, I'm going to keep that covenant, right? Amos 3 and 3 it says, do two people walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Well, the answer there is no. If, 
if I haven't agreed to walk with you, I don't walk with you. Okay? Mm -hmm. So, and there's way more in Amos, and, and we're going to get into Amos, hopefully, um, this year. I want to, to teach through Amos. Um, I don't know enough about Amos. There's some things in Amos that we need to know. And, and one of those things is Amos 3.3. 3. I've quoted that in some shape or, for, or form. I know Brother Matt has. I know if you've listened to any kind of any kind of uh, preaching at all, you've heard that we walk together. Um, wow, it just left me. But two people don't agree. If they're not agreements, they don't walk together, right? <clears throat> so Enoch walked with God. He walked with God in uh, in his faith. He strove to walk in the light, and he lived his life for 300 years. That's a miraculous thing in itself. For 300 years, he walked in agreement with God. I'm 34, I think. I'm, yeah, my wife is shaking her head. Uh, I have yet to fulfill one day where I have walked in agreement with God fully. Right? And I would even venture to say that Enoch failed also because he's not a perfect man. <coughs> he's a man. But yet he was translated out of here and he has yet to die. Bless you, buddy. So if Enoch can do it, I can do it. Right? I can walk with God in that way. Does that mean that I walk it perfectly? No. I fail every day. But if I walk in agreement with God, God has agreed to impart his son's righteousness unto me, right? That's the agreement that they had before the foundations of the world was laid, that Jesus, God the Son, would die for the sins of creation and present that atoning sacrifice to the Father who would accept that sacrifice. So they've agreed to walk with man and man to walk with them, even though we do it imperfectly, Jesus' work was perfect, so we walk with God. There's no, that's the only way that this works, is that Christ <laughs> build the bridge between us, and he has. And uh, so God took him. That's what the Bible says. And, and Spurgeon goes on to say a very uh, <coughs> remarkable expression. <laughs> Obviously, perhaps he he did it in some visible manner. Now this is this is Spurgeon being speculative, which is weird to think about uh, an expositor going, "Hey, what if?" But we can't help when we hear things that are beyond our imagination to try and build an image, yeah. right? So this is this is Spurgeon's uh, trying to build an image of what possibly could have happened. What no, in other words, what? What did Enoch's rapture look like? Okay. Very remarkable expression. Perhaps it, uh, he did it in some visible manner. I should not wonder. Perhaps the whole of the patriarchs saw him depart, even as the apostles were present, present when the Lord was taken up. However, that may be, there are some special, uh, there was some special rapture. Some distinct taking up of this choice 
of this choice went to the throne of the Most High. So we don't know how it happened, but we know that it happened. Same thing we do when we're looking forward into our future. There is a day coming where Christ is going to step out on the clouds and he's going to call both dead and living saints to him. The dead in Christ will rise <coughs> to meet him in the air first. Then, what does the Bible say? Those that remain, in other words, those that are not dead, will also rise to meet him in the air. We're going to be glorified. So there is coming a day, even though the Bible says it's appointed once for a man to die. And that's a loaded statement, and we can get into that in a whole different study. But that does not negate the fact that there's going to be one day where there's a whole generation of Christians who do not taste death, who, who, who are glorified. What a day. What a day it will be. And how can we say that that's, that's a truth? Because it's already happened twice. Yeah. It's happened in Enoch, and we're going to do it again in Second Kings. So, uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't figured it out yet or not, why is Enoch, why is Elijah important for us as believers in our future? They were raptured out of here. They, they were born of a woman. They were born of a corrupt seed. They walked with God, and then they were not. Okay? So we can say the same thing for us. Out of death, out of corruption, if we live, if we're in that generation, when the second coming happens, we will not taste death. We'll be raptured out of here. We'll, we'll go to meet our Lord in the air after we see Grandma and Grandpa come bust out of the graves, and they're translated, and they're... What a like Spurgeon! What what a remarkable expression! Yeah. What a what a British way to say that, right? <laughs> you know, us in America, we we make it have a more expressive term for that. But what a glory, right? What a glory! And the thing about it is, when you read your Bible, it's not going to be a surprise to us. The timing is we don't know when when Christ is coming back. But when the world is in terror because zombies are coming back, look, right? And, yeah. and and here's the thing. There ain't, <coughs> there ain't been a show yet that showed a flying zombie. But that's exactly what's going to happen with these. They're going to be coming out of the grave, and they ain't walking among us. They're floating up. And we're going to see this. Oh, and don't forget, we see our Lord for the first time with physical eyes. Then we see the graves. Then we're with him. In a twinkling of an eye, it's a. It, it, if you ain't got chills, you're dead, and you need to check yourself. God took him. Spur, Spurgeon says in his Spurgeon way, we shouldn't wonder, but we have to, because what an amazing event, right? And in Hebrews chapter eleven, verse five tells us that the foundation uh, tells us what the foundation of Enoch's walk. With God was so if we endeavor to be taken by God whether in death or for those who remain maybe we should understand what the foundation is right and we know the foundation is Christ but let's see what Hebrews has to say it says by faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death and he was not found because God took him up for before he was taken up he was attested to have been pleasing to God so what is the foundation of our walk to be pleasing? What, what, what is 
the answer to catechism question number one of the Westminster Catechism? What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and, and enjoy Him forever. Mm-hmm. The only way you enjoy somebody is if you're pleasing to them, yeah. right? Uh, and I like to use my wife a lot because she has to come home with me and she has to love me because that's the Bible. If I was not pleasing to her, she would not be with me, right? There's times there's times where I am still not pleasing to her. And guess what? She doesn't leave me, but she doesn't want to be around me. You know, we have to separate, go to each other's corner, go to each other's room. Uh, so is that not also a picture of our relationship with God? I want to be pleasing to my Lord. I want God to see me as he sees his son so that I can be pleasing to him. Because if I'm not pleasing to God, then I'm not going to be taken by him. So you can't walk with God or please God apart from faith. All of this starts to crumble around if uh, if we don't have faith, right? We're talking salvation. How are we saved? By grace through faith, right? So if I am endeavoring to be taken up by God, if I'm endeavoring to be pleasing to God, then the only way for a corrupt man to be pleasing to God is what? To be saved. To to have someone else's righteousness <coughs> imparted, or imparted to me. And not anybody's righteousness, but the righteousness of God himself. Spurgeon goes on to say this, if man, uh, if men walk contrary to God, he will not walk with them, but contrary to them. Who doesn't want God on their side? Right? Yes. But if you are unsaved right now, the Bible says that you are an enemy to God. And, and let's take a little aside right here. We're 21 minutes in. <coughs> um, we've got a little time for a rabbit hole. Here's another question to think about. Saved or unsaved, do we still have a personal relationship with God? As a saved person, you would say yes. Mm -hmm. But an unsaved person, do they have a personal relationship with God? We'll take a few minutes to think about it. A few seconds. Richard Paul says, no, you don't have a personal relationship with God. Biblically, you have to because he created you. The answer is yes. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're for two reasons. One, you're created in his image. Yeah. He created. He is creator. Your creation. He knows you intimately. You can deny that, but you, have you can deny it. Yeah. But even in your denial, you still have a personal relationship with God because God, <coughs> in his breathed out word, says that we are either seen as friend or enemy. You cannot sit around this table or somebody who's listening and tell me your enemy is not personal. You have to know them. You have to know them for them to be your enemy. If you're a stranger, you're neither a friend or an enemy. So so be careful of somebody saying, well, I I know God. I have a personal relationship with him. Make sure you have the right relationship with God. Every relationship is personal with God. You're either a friend or you're an enemy. You're either an heir or you're outside the camp. And you're outside of the camp because you are an enemy to him. 
He hates the sinner. He hates sin. And the only reason that we are called friend is because of the work on the cross. So keep that in your keep that in your head for next time you hear somebody when you're witnessing and you know the fruits aren't there and they're saying, Well, I, I have a relationship with God. Absolutely you do, yeah. but do you have the right relationship with God, right? It's not enough to know him. You have to walk with him. Okay. And my dad uses that uses that all the time. He says, you know, I know the president. The president don't know me. <laughs> but uh, Spurgeon goes on to say, uh, Enoch's life has no adventures. Um, is it not adventure enough for a man to walk with God? What ambition can can crave a nobler existence? than abiding in the friendship with the eternal. And and I'm going to read that again because it's a mouthful the way Charles Spurgeon speaks. But I feel like it's important. Spurgeon says that Enoch's life has no adventures. In other words, we know very little about Enoch. We, we know that he was married because he had sons and daughters. We know that he lived 365 years. We know that he didn't see death, but we have no ideas of his hobbies. We don't know what he did for a living. We don't we don't know what the 65 years looked like uh, before Methuselah. Did he walk with God before Methuselah? He lived 365 years, but it says 300 years he walked with God. Was it was it the fact that he now had, was responsible for rearing a child that he started to walk with God that 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 he thought it was important enough to to rear his children uh, quote unquote a biblical way however they would have said it back then but let's read that again Enoch's life has no adventures is it not adventure enough for a man to walk with God that's what Spurgeon says what what better adventure is there? To walk with God. Why was Adam created? What did what did God do in the cool of the day with Adam? He walked with him. Right? He walked with him. There is no other adventure. There is no other reason to live. Right? Our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We are created to walk with God. It's our sin that separates us. That's why Christ came. What ambition can crave a nobler existence than abiding in fellowship with the eternal? I like the way you put that there. What could be more ambitious than than having a conversation with God himself? (laughs) There is none. Spurgeon also said Enoch walked with God after Methuselah uh, had been born 300 years. And doubtless, now this is Spurgeon, and I would agree with him. Doubtless, he he had walked with him <coughs> before. I don't feel like a birth of a child got got Enoch to walk with God to this level, right? This was a this was a maturity. This was somebody who had been walking with God. Uh, I feel like the scripture would be would be somewhat different. I would think that it would show us that God showed himself to Enoch and then he walked with him 300 years, right? Mm-hmm. We don't have a beginning of Enoch's faith. We just have the end of it. 
which is not an end because he's still faithful. <laughs> right? He hasn't died, so he's still there. Uh, what a what a splendid walk. What a splendid walk. A walk of 300 years. One might desire a change of company if he walked with anybody else. Could could you walk with the people you know for 300 years? But to walk with God for 3 centuries was so sweet that the patriarch kept on with his walk until he walked beyond time and space and walked into paradise. He's, he's still today walking with God. And then there's Elijah. All right? So uh, look at 2 Kings 2, and we'll look at Elijah. We're not going to go so deep into Elijah's life because we have way more detail of Elijah's life, okay? But Enoch's walk and Elijah's walk is the same walk, maybe with few with different details, but their end is the same. So their walk is the same, right? And that's the thing that we need to understand as Christians is although our lives are completely different, our walk is the same. Our spiritual walk with Christ is the same walk. We're at different maturity levels. There's different circumstances that get us all to the same points of maturity. But our walk is the same. Our spiritual walk is the same. It is to please God, however that happens. right? <clears throat> and you, you better believe if you're a Christian, you're endeavoring to end the same place as those who have walked before. We want to go to paradise. We want to be with our Lord. So 2 Kings 2, 9 through 13, this is this is the catching away. This is, uh, my Bible says, Elijah taken to heaven. So uh, it says, when they had uh, crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I, sh I shall do for you before I am taken from you. Elijah's a prophet, right? And we know that God gives foreknowledge uh, when foreknowledge is needed. So Paul knew his end, right? He didn't know when it was going to happen, but he knew he wasn't ever going to leave Rome, even to the point to where he, he didn't understand if going to Rome the first time was his last time because if you read the scriptures, he's endeavoring to go to Spain, and he never leaves Rome. So he, he knew where it was going to happen, didn't know when. No one knows their end. Elijah knew what was going to happen, but we're, we're, we're soon to see that he didn't quite know when it was going to happen. So, what? Uh, ask what I shall do before I am taken from you. And Elijah said, please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. He said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not... It shall not be taken. So he didn't say, hey, you better be watching me. It's about to happen. No, he said, I know I know how it's going to happen. I know I'm not going to taste death. This, I'm paraphrasing, but this is basically what he said. He said, if you see when this event happens, what you ask will be yours. If you are not with me, it's not going to happen. Uh, verse 11. As they were going along and talking... So were they walking together? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. As they were going along talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. 
Now before we go, and, and Elijah went up in a whirlwind of fire into heaven. How many thought, because I know I was, we, we're taught this as kids, right? And, and we read over things, but we don't read things. How many thought that Elijah went up into heaven in the chariot? I did, but that's not what we just read right there. He went up in a whirlwind. It was a chariot of fire and horses of fire that separated Elijah and Elisha. Okay? He didn't get in the chariot. A whirlwind took him up, but it was a chariot that separated them. That's how close they were. So you have to understand, Elijah just told Elisha, if you want a double portion, you have, you have to see me go. And Elisha was not putting any air between them. Mm-hmm. To the point to where God is wanting to take Elijah away and he has to separate them. That is a message in itself. How close are you walking with God? Mm-hmm. How close are you walking? Is there anything between you and God? <coughs> because if there is, you ain't walking right. You ever prayed and nothing happened? Maybe look at your walk. <laughs> you know? Maybe look at your walk. So a chariot separates them, and Elijah went up in a whirlwind to heaven. Elijah saw it and cried out, My father, my father, that's small f's, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. In other words, he's saying, Do you see this? Like, this double portion thing that's still that's still happening, right? You have to understand what he's saying. I can't, like, I can't see you now because of this chariot. This was not part of it. Uh, and Elijah, and he saw Elijah no more. Then he mm-hmm. took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. So that's Elisha. Mm-hmm. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and returned and stood by the bank Jordan. And we know the, the rest of the story there. He, the, the men on the other side of the Jordan that were left were standing there looking at Elisha. Elisha basically said, well, we're going to try this. And he stretches forth the mantle, and he hits the Jordan, and it, it separates like it did. Uh, they walked over before, and the men witnessed that, and their testimony was he has he has the spirit of Elijah. Okay, So Enoch, not dead. Elijah, not dead. Um, two witnesses. That's where we go next. Um Enoch and Elijah were the only biblical figures that did not see death uh, in our recorded history that the Bible records. That's the only two. They are the exemption of the rule. So let's do a little a little recap. They're an exemption of the rule that each of us uh, must taste death. As the writer of Hebrews tells us that in 9, 27 through 28. And just as it is destined for people to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered <coughs> once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly what await him. So we're waiting. We're waiting for him. So just to make sure that there isn't anybody who thinks the Bible contradicts itself. Have we all died once? If you're saved, you have. We were dead already. We've been resurrected in Christ. We now live in Christ. So 
if I'm that generation that's here when, when Christ comes back, I've died to self. Mm-hmm. I've died once. I don't have to die again. Okay. All right. Like I said, we could do a whole study on that, and we may we may have to, and we might. It's good stuff. So the two witnesses. It is possible. We have to talk about it. It is possible that someday in the future that Enoch and Elijah may experience physical death. Okay. We don't know this for this is this is like Spurgeon, a what if. Okay. There's there's two witnesses in the Book of Revelations. Who just show up one day, and they're they're killed, and they lay in the street. It says the whole world comes looks at them. Three days later, God raises them back up, and they go back to preaching. Um, if it is appointed for once a man to have a physical death, that would be a good two to bring, right? Especially tying in the messenger to come, the one that would pave a way for Christ was supposed to be who. Elijah. Now Christ said that John the Baptist, Elijah did come and it was John the Baptist. But if history if history plays itself out again, there's going to be one to come paving the way for Christ. And he's going to come in the spirit of Elijah. <coughs> I don't know. Just food for thought, something to think. Uh, others have said that it could be Moses. Enoch and Elijah, Moses and Elijah, because Moses is the first prophet, you know. And but um, there's a big problem with that. If you look at Deuteronomy 34, four through six, Moses died. Okay, um, Moses died. It's recorded, and it's of the highest authority that it's recorded. So let's read it. Uh, that's why I'm saying, why not Moses? If the two, if the two witnesses has to be someone who has not died. Enoch and Elijah, that would be it. Um, that's a big has to, a what if. God can literally do whatever he wants. Those two witnesses don't ever even say that they're men. They could be angels. We don't know. We don't know. Um, but we definitely know that it won't be Moses because he's died. Um, and that's in Deuteronomy 34, 4 through 6. It's, then the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your own eyes, but you will not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab in accordance with the word of the Lord. Pretty high authority, the highest authority. How do we know Moses died? God said so. Okay. And he buried him. That's capital H. God buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his burial place to this day. Why? I believe because ignorant men would have made Moses a martyr. They would have made him a god, and they would have tried to they would have tried to worship the prophet of God. Um, he's the first prophet, right? He's the first one who spoke for God, and things happen. Yeah. Right. So to make sure that God is the head of everything, he buries Moses, his friend. The one who has seen him face to face. Continue reading in Deuteronomy. That God loved Moses. He really did. To the point where he didn't want Moses' legacy to be tainted. So I, I, that's, that's, that's a Scottism if you want to. But I, I believe it's biblical. But uh, So the two witnesses. One of them definitely won't be Moses. Because he's dead. Uh, of course he lives on. You know, he, he lives on in, in Christ now. But he physically died. 
So let's tie all this together. What does all this mean? Why is this important? We've been saying it this whole time, but look at the Old Testament examples. I thought that this was this was pretty awesome. The New Testament says that the accounts of the Old Testament were given to us as examples of things we should expect to experience. Okay, 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the age have come. So why do we not throw the Old Testament out? Why are we a full gospel-believing church here? Why do we believe in not only sola scriptura, but tota scriptura? Because the Old Testament was written so that we will believe the New <coughs> Testament. Okay? We'll say that again. The Old Testament is given so that we would believe the New Testament. If we do not have the Old Testament, I have nothing to believe in the, in the New Testament. Did I say that wrong? If we do not have the Old Testament, we do have nothing to believe in the New Testament. How do I know Jesus is Lord? How do I know he's the son of man? How, how do I know that he's the son of God? How, how do I know any of these prophecies exist? The prophecies were given in the Old Testament. How do I know he's the fulfillment of anything if I don't have the Old Testament? You can't throw the Old Testament out and, and thoroughly believe the New Testament. You can't walk with God without knowing the full mystery of God. Without knowing him. There ain't no mean God of the Old Testament and the God of love in the New Testament. It's God, Yahweh, all the way through. It's Christ. So, therefore, we should look to the events of the Old Testament to prefigure things that affect us. Uh, why are Enoch and Elijah significant to you and I? Because Enoch and Elijah prefigure the rapture of the church. God has raptured mankind twice in history. If he's done, if he did it once, we could have faith in it. But he did it twice. And if you know anything about uh, Bible um, interpretation, if it's in there more than once. It's pretty important. Okay. Whether or not Enoch and Elijah appear as the two witnesses, we we don't we don't know. At the end of the age, we do know that Enoch and Elijah, their examples. Uh, of believers or two believers who haven't tasted death okay we know that for sure therefore one of the reasons for Enoch's translation is that he prefigures an entire generation of believers who will not taste death okay and, and then ultimately a victory over death we can look to Enoch and Elijah and look at Christ's victory over death uh, that's the other purpose of, of a translation of a rapture in Old Testament. It highlights the truth of Scripture that there is an ultimate redemption for each of us who have placed our faith in the Lord. Okay, What does Paul say? Even, even if you sleep, mm -hmm. you, you die in this life, you're present with the Lord. But God doesn't stop there. There's enough, oh, there's so many, there's so many tales we could go on this, but uh, your body rest, but God it doesn't even leave your husk. That's resurrected. If if you're if you die right now, and you die in Christ, you are with your Lord. Your body's here. 
but in the last day, in the resurrection, he even resurrects that. How much does God love you? How much does he love his creation? He, he unifies everything. We're getting a new body. It's a glorified body. But it's the same body. How do you know that, Pastor? Jesus got a, got a glorified body. But it's his same body. You turn to dust. Right? God's good. He, he formed you from the dust. If you lay in a grave long enough to go back to dust, you don't think he can form you again? Of course he can. That also blows blows out whether I need to be buried in my body or can I be cremated or none of that matters. It really doesn't because uh, God can take ashes and make a body again. That does not matter at all. So victory over death through the great major or though the great majority of believers will experience physical death. Uh, obviously, if we live long enough, we'll die. John MacArthur says death is still uh, one per person. If you live long enough, you die. Okay. <laughs> uh, Enoch's example provides us uh, hope that believers will achieve an ultimate victory over death. Either seeing God break open the eastern sky or even in death. Death has no stain because ultimately Christ has victory. So summarizing all of this, uh, why are they in the Bible? Like, why is Enoch in the Bible? Why is Elijah's story in the Bible? Uh, to show us things like a rapture to come. That's what I truly believe. They look forward to a most amazing event called the rapture, or catching away. You're not going to find the rapture, the word rapture in the Bible, but a catching away, a being taken by God, if you want to use Enoch's uh, testimony. He was took. He was taken. Uh, but this is for all saints when Jesus comes back. Why do we have hope in this event? Because God has already proven that it can happen. Okay? So we trust in God to do it again for all, for all those who at the time of the second coming are walking with God. See, that's the thing. You have to be walking with God. If you endure to the end of your physical life and you go by the grave, you best go into that grave walking with God. If you are of that generation who sees Christ come back, when Christ comes back, you best be walking with God because there's, there's no second chance. If I go into the grave... And I have not lived a life walking with God. I don't, well, let me say it like this. If I go into the grave and I do not have a walk with God, <clears throat> I don't have a walk with God. I go into death, an enemy, and I'm dealt with as such. If I am an enemy of God and he calls the time, because father, the Father knows, right? And he calls the end of time. And I am found to be an enemy of God. I am judged as an enemy of God. Okay. Why is it important to walk with God? Because we don't know. We don't know our end. We very well could be in the 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 last of the last days. I don't. God's above me. I don't know. There could be a rapture now. We're in the last days. You can remember that. Uh, 
the last days being the time between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. Okay, that's that's the last days. Is it the last day? I don't know, but I know I need to be walking with Him. Yeah, I need to be walking with Him. So uh, God's already proven that it can happen, and uh, it's for those who are walking with God that are took by God into glory. That's that's our hope. Amen. Look, any questions? You've been listening to the Learning Curve podcast brought to you by Abundant Grace Church here in DeVille, Louisiana. Uh, we invite you to look at our webpage. It is www.abundantgracechurchonline.com. Uh, there you can find all the different ways that you can uh, be in contact with us. Thank you.